This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I didn't want to go into the NFL. I wanted to go into the Army. And so I passed on the NFL, and I went on to my duty station. Some unfortunate things happened while I was deployed or while I was in the Army. My two best friends were killed in action. Emily, she was a medical corps officer. Like I said, the first black female, highest-ranking female at West Point. She was primed to be a general, and she was on a mission with a a medical unit where they were bringing supplies in to a unit that recently been hit and needed supplies badly. On the way to the objective, her unit was ambushed, and she essentially died from a IED within that first year of us graduating from West Point. That was rough. Imagine you spent four or five years training, sacrificing your youth, to lead sons and daughters in the harm's way. And within that first year, you give the ultimate sacrifice. And that's what she did. And so her story, her life, how she affected the people around her while she was here has such a, a great impact that it's been inspiring me to tell her story. for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? I'm extremely excited about our guest this evening. I've known him since we were in high school and he's been like the, the big brother I've always wanted. Recently got to hang out with him for New Year's Eve and just really had heart to heart over New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, some things recently happened, and I just thought it was a really appropriate time to bring my good friend Greg Washington to the tribe to share some of the experiences he's had over the past 10 or 15 years and how he's dealt with some of those issues. So with that, Greg, why don't you take the mic and 
take us on this journey, man. All right. Well, Jerome, I appreciate you for giving me the opportunity to be here. Good evening, everyone. All right. Uh, I understand that there are uh, all types of business people on this call, or all types of people, new business owners, old business owners, people looking for motivation and inspiration. And uh, you just got an array of folks, you know, to talk to. Um, when Jerome and I talked over New Year's, you know, we, we talked about a couple of things. Most of the time when I bring in the New Year, I normally bring it in alone, and that's for a couple of reasons. I guess I step back for a second and kind of introduce myself. Uh, my name is Greg Washington. I am originally from Fayetteville, North Carolina. I'm a graduate from the United States Military Academy, and I was a infantry officer. I'm a former infantry officer. I've been deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, got hurt, got out, had to figure out what I was going to do with my life once I got out. Uh, ended up working for Shell Oil and Gas and went and got my MBA and decided that I wanted to be a entrepreneur. And so I started down the road of dealing with finances and just trying to redefine me. So I started up a company called TFT uh, Financial Services, uh, the company that I started. My business partner is actually my son's stepdad. We have a very unique and dynamic relationship. Uh, the company is called TFP, which stands for Two Fathers Providing. We want it to be more than just what people stereotype us as being angry black men. I wanted uh, our family to know that, one, being a blended family, that we could make this thing work, that you've got two men stepping up to the table that love and care for our family as a whole and want to make sure, you know, the well-being is there and that uh, we provide the right leadership uh, for them and also set the example that whatever you put your mind to, you can achieve. So that kind of brings us up to now. I have a passion for growing cannabis, which I believe in the medical aspect of it versus the recreational. So I know there may be some folks on the call, you know, who have, you know, a difference of opinions, but it is a lot of healing properties uh, just in, you know, cannabis alone. So that's kind of my background from, you know, a business standpoint and where I come from. Tonight's topic, what I wanted to talk about, which leads back to New Year's, which what me and Jerome had kind of started to briefly touch on, the challenges around dealing with grief, Right. And so that's the initial topic, but this bleeds into, you know, personal life. This bleeds into business as well. And some of the takeaways, you know, you'll be able to apply it into your everyday life. Uh, and it's one of those where I like having something tangible to be able to walk away with to say, you know, this is in my toolkit and this is how I can make it work for it. I was asking Jerome if this could be interactive because, I'm quite sure we're all different ages and comes from all different walks of life. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody has a story to tell or share about, you know, their dealings with grief, with failure, or with this. I'll share mine with you. Like I said, I graduated from the United States Military Academy. At the age of 17, 18, I decided that I wanted to serve my country in a way that, you know, not most are afforded that opportunity. I wanted to be an officer in the Army. And so I went to West Point. West Point is a military academy uh, in upstate New York, and you spend four years of your life dedicated to pretty much learning your craft. Uh, for me, that was, that was being an infantry officer. So 
You know, I was on lockdown. The first two years, you know, you get one weekend pass a year. So we pretty much focused on football, school, and military training. And so you spend day in and day out with your classmates all dedicated to the same thing of of training. So for me and my class, we are the true class of 9-11 because my freshman year is when 9-11 happened. And we all remember that when we heard on the news and on the radio, because West Point's a military base, of course we got the alert and the base shut down and went into this whole defense mode uh, versus being a school environment. And so I remember being that class and seeing my classmates, the fear in their eyes, the worry, the wonder, the what ifs, what's going to happen to us now, it was terrifying. It was frightening. We got released from class. You know, my mom, she instantly called me and was like, you know, son, are you ready to come home? And I told her, and I was like, no, mom, I made a commitment to stay, and this is something that I want to do, right? I felt like who better to lead our sons and daughters in the harm's way and make sure they come back than I, than me and my brothers that signed up for this. So my class starts out with 1,100 uh, cadets, right, in each class. Uh, and, of course, you know, just the, the natural law of, a, of attrition, uh, we ended up with roughly 927 or so. And you would think that out of that whole class, and especially what 9-11 happened, a lot of them would say, okay, I quit, you know, like, oh, things going to got real. You know, this isn't a game. I'm going home. No, not my classmates, not my friends, not my brothers and sisters. We all came together and we stood behind each other and said, you know, this is what we wanted to do. And so I wanted to share my story about two of my very close friends that I met at West Point, Emily Perez and Scott Pace. Scott Pace was my roommate from my sophomore year up until we graduated. Seeing that, you know, we, we really can't go anywhere. Being at school, you get to know people very well. So 340 days out the year, we were around each other, day in, day out, blood, sweat, tears. We wouldn't let each other quit. We motivated each other to finish class, to finish schoolwork, and to just press forward and keep moving on. Emily Perez, she was my best female friend uh, at West Point. She was the first highest-ranking black female to ever graduate from West Point, and she was a track superstar. You know, she, she was a, a little Tasmanian devil. She could run her tail off. And I, of course, you know, I played football while I was there. Uh, so we all had, you know, our different sports that we played. Scotty Pace, he played basketball. He ended up moving on to other sports. Scotty, he was Mormon. And so to have, like, you know, such a, a vast dynamic a relationship where, you know, I grew up in a Pentecostal church and, you know, my roommate and essentially one of my good friends is Mormon, you know, you, you got to have a certain level of understanding and love for each other regardless of your race and religion, and that's what we had. Now, little did I know the mission that Scotty was on. Scotty was an ordained priest in his religion, meaning he was like the highest-ranking priesthood that you could get in, like, the Mormon societies. And I'm not even going to say, you know, the exact name because, you know, I, I don't give it any justice coming from the country, so, you know, you, you have to forgive me. But it was such an honor to, to know him. Emily Perez, she came from, from the Maryland, D.C. area where, you know, she was a track superstar. She grew up in the church. Uh, she even helped started a nonprofit organization while she was in high school 
to help out local teams and disadvantaged youngsters in the area that even to this day is, is still being promoted and still going on. 9-11 happened. Boom. Freshman year. Sophomore year, we're training. Junior year, we're training. We pick our branch, right? Senior year, retraining. We pick our posts. I had the opportunity to try out for the NFL my senior year or after my senior year. And so once I graduated, I didn't get to go with the rest of my class. I essentially stayed at West Point to be a graduate assistant coach uh, to see how, you know, this football career was going to turn out. I looked at that opportunity as a win-win because Jerome would tell you, a little country kid coming from Fayetteville, North Carolina, it's like a 1% chance of, of ever being able to go play in the NFL, right? So that was one aspect of one dream of mine that I would have loved to accomplish. But overall, when I looked at it, I loved the idea of being an officer, of being a leader. And so for me, it was a win-win situation. So when my class graduated, what tends to happen is the branch that you pick, you pick your branch, which determines, you know, what field you go into in the military, and then, of course, your post. So my two friends, they went on, did their basic training, and then their advanced training for their field, their MOS, and then got pushed forward into their, their assignments. I stayed a year, coached the football team, worked out, trained, and then I later went on and did all of the basic training and the infantry training and the whole nine. In doing so, I look back and I realize, like, how hard things were and how really close to life and death situations I was going to get to. If you ever get a chance to go up to West Point, it is magnificent. It's beautiful. Uh, you have all of these rich historical facts about the U.S. and American history and, and, and what we went through, and, you know, you, you'll just be amazed. I remember talking to a friend a couple of months ago uh, at an art show, and I was fascinated by the art, but it reminded me of, of West Point because I was like, I'm a part of a very elite group that makes history, that helps write history based on the things and the sacrifices that, that, that we do for our country. It just put things in perspective as to what my purpose was, what my, my, my mission was in life as far as where I wanted to be, where I needed to be, and what, what my life choices were, were going to be. So for me, I didn't want to go into the NFL. I wanted to go into the Army. And so I passed on the NFL, and I went on to my duty station. Some unfortunate things happened while I was deployed or while I was in the Army. My two best friends were killed in action. Emily, she was a medical corps officer. Like I said, the first black female highest-ranking female at West Point. She was primed to be a general, and she was on a mission with a, a medical unit where they were bringing supplies in to a unit that recently been hit and needed supplies badly. On the way to the objective, her unit was ambushed, and she essentially died from a IED within that first year of us graduating from West Point. That was rough. Imagine you spent four or five years training, sacrificing your youth to lead sons and daughters in the harm's way. And then that first year, you give the ultimate sacrifice. And that's what she did. And so her story, her life, how she affected the people around her while she was here has such a, a great impact that 
it's been inspiring me to tell her story for the longest. And so that's one of the reasons why Jerome has me on this call tonight, because I wanted to share her story. Now, we had to deal with that. I had to take that pain, and it was my turn up for my deployment. And so I had to somehow, some way, figure out how to deal with that hurt, deploy, take care of my soldiers, not let my frustrations and anger get the best of me because I still had to act in a morally and ethical way to ensure that my soldiers got home safely and that we accomplished the mission, right? At that time, our mission was to win over the hearts and minds of the civilians to help them take back their country. So it was a, a, a way different war than when it first started, and it was frustrating, but you had to figure out how to deal with it. So, so I did. So I made it through Afghanistan and Iraq, and when I got out, because essentially I was hurt on one of my missions, that's when I started working for Shell. Now, my roommate, Scotty Pace, Scotty Pace stayed in. Scotty Pace, he was, he was a remarkable young man. He went and did his mission before going to West Point so that him and his brother could go to West Point at the same time and graduate together. So when Scotty graduated, he was a, an aviation officer, and he flew Apache helicopters in mission. And so my second, my, well, it was my first year, my first summer out of the Army is when I received the notice about Scotty Pace. Scotty had essentially responded to a call uh, where a unit was under attack and they needed close air support. So if you know anything about war fighting, I kind of break it down. When, when we make enemy contact and things get real hot and heavy and you get bogged down, you call in close air support, which is like helicopters, small fixed wings, planes that have come in to help relieve some of the pressure from what the enemy is putting on you so that you can either extract, be able to advance and move forward. Well, during his response, uh, his Apache got hit with an RPG to the, the tail wings, and essentially he had to abort his mission and try to get his bird back to base before it crashed. Unfortunately, him and his co-pilot didn't make it. That hurt. It hurt hard. Two closest friends outside of the people that I played football with were gone. And I remember me and my deployments where, and one of the reasons I got hurt, I was dealing with having to go on back-to-back deployments. I was already ready to go. I was in the mindset of, you know, go get this over with. Whatever it was going to be, was going to be. My command, because we had to do dwell time, uh, essentially I wasn't able to, you know, deploy back-to-back, so I had to wait. So uh, another Army buddy of mine, he took the seat. And what ended up happening in that time frame of dwell time where I couldn't deploy, my Army buddy that took my position, his name is Greg D'Alessio, he was essentially killed in a meeting uh, with the local nationals so about six months into it. Greg D'Alessio had probably about four or five months left in the Army before he was going to get out and retire doing my job. So when I looked at it, it was like, wow, that, that could have been me, right? So for one person, you have to go through so much trauma in such a short period of time, that was life-changing. And that's why we're going to get to the topic of, of today. The challenges of dealing with grief, right, whether it be, i.e., in my case, you know, close friends and family dying. On a lighter note, if you're in school and you're getting bullied 
if you're in business and you fail, right, what are some of the challenges of, of dealing with grief? And so you have to look at the negative triggers, the trauma in your life that you go through, the bullying. you got to understand that you can't expect for people to be nice in this day and age. Show respect, but you know, always be, be prepared. Friends and family dying or just failing in life or just, just being unhappy. Those are all negative things that happen that, you know, that you tend to have to deal with. And it's one of those things, well, how do you get out of, how do you get out of that funk? And the opposite to that is when things are going, are going too good, right, you can easily slip into being complacent, being too comfortable, and essentially spiraling down and failing. A couple of things that I wanted to talk about with this is, like the challenges. I asked one of my friends in the open discussion of what's, what's the biggest challenge, right, of dealing with grief. And one of my friends, he says, if you mourn too long, and when he said that, you know, that, that hit, it was powerful. It stuck, right, because everybody gets knocked down. You're going to get knocked down in life. You are going to have obstacles. You're going to have challenges. Things are going to happen to where it just knocks the wind out of you, right? It's going to hurt close friends and family. They may die. You know, everybody's going to die at some point. And when he said that, you know, like that struck, it made sense because it's not that you need to hide from it. It's not that you need to compartmentalize it, put it in a box, and put it on the shelf. You have to face it. You have to deal with it. You have to give yourself some time to allow yourself to be emotional. And it is okay to cry. It's okay to be frustrated, it's okay to be angry. Nobody's perfect. And so with tonight's call, it's a, I want this to be motivational in the sense that things to look out for when dealing with, with grief, right? Because I want you to be successful in whatever you're doing. If you fail, understand that it's okay. Set a timer, whether it's, if it's something small, you failed a project, someone hurts your feelings, Set a timer, give yourself, you know, an hour or whatever the case may be. Cry, yell, scream, kick, throw a tantrum all you want. When that timer is up, all right, figure out what your next steps are going to be and what you're going to do. In doing that, in trying to be successful, right, because successful people tend to slip up and fail. I know as business owners, they say 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 businesses fail within like the first two or three years. And so some things to look out for when you know, you're, you're in business or when you're dealing with a project, uh, the biggest thing is complacency. And this is one of the things that, you know, I, I tell my son as well. I was like, failure? Failure starts out, not necessarily in my case where, you know, like stuff hits the fan and, and it's just all bad. Sometimes failure starts out as a good time. People get complacent. People get too comfortable with what they're doing. It's like that snowball effect where, it slowly starts out as this tiny ball, and then as it picks up momentum and speed, you just spiral down. And so, you know, you have to look at some of the cues in your life as to, as to what you're doing. So if you ever find yourself being too complacent or being too comfortable, you have to give yourself a pulse check to see where more than when it first started. And it was frustrating, but you had to figure out how to deal with it. Uh, so I did. So I made it through Afghanistan, and I the number one thing that will get most people in trouble when it comes to business. You don't want to grow 
faster than what you can financially operate in. The other part to the challenges of dealing with grief, so how to overcome it, is surrounding yourself with positive people, like-minded people. So where Jerome has this tribe called, it's a bunch of like-minded folks on here. So for us to be able to come together, to share ideas, to lean on each other for resources, for motivation, for direction, that does nothing but helps strengthen and push you along on your aspirations of being successful. Always be willing to surround yourself around positive people. And the other aspect of it is you may have to cut off some negative relationships in order for you to stay on that positive path and direct. The last part of this that, you know, I wanted to get to is around, one, redefining your purpose and setting yourself up for success uh, and what to focus on. For me, when my whole dream goal aspect was, you know, I wanted to be a general in the Army. This is everything. This is all I wanted to do. And when I got hurt and got medically discharged, I quickly had to reinvent myself and say, okay, well, Greg, you know, what do you like? Uh, what do you want to do? What are you passionate about? And so you don't get too many chances to really reinvent yourself and actually, you know, take off on a good foot. So being able to minimize, you know, the debt you have and to be able to save so that you can make the right moves that you want to make in life, those are all key. So don't be afraid to Lean on someone that knows finances or that can help you plan for your future to make these kind of moves, right? You, you don't want to make them alone. It's always good to seek wise counsel, especially when you're making business moves, right? Because, and I always tell Jerome, if you're in a room full of people and you're the smartest one in the room, then you need to get a new set of friends, right? So you need to surround yourself with people that, have been in your shoes, that have walked down the path you, you're trying to go, that can help you be successful without you having to bump your head too many times and getting there. And the last part is what to focus on, right? Now, money isn't everything. I asked one of my sons, what is money? Uh, he said that I learned in school that money is the root of all evil. I said, no, son, money isn't the root of all evil. Money, just like a weapon on the battlefield, is a force multiplier. If I got the high-tech weapons on the battlefield, then you know, I'm able to do the most damage. So I was explaining to my son, I was like, money is a force multiplier. If you are a good person with money, that means that you can do a lot greater good for people. Now, if you are an evil or a bad person with money, then guess what? You're going to do more evil and bad things towards people. I won't get into examples of those, but just understand that money is a force multiplier. So with that being said, money isn't what you should focus on. It's a multiplier for what you're trying to accomplish. The focus, which I found has brought you know, a lot of satisfaction to my life, is three things. Focus on love, focus on success, and focus on happiness. You should look in the mirror and tell yourself, I love you more than you should be trying to tell someone else that. And I always tell my girls that every time you get up in the morning, look in the mirror while you're brushing your teeth, look yourself in the eye and say, I love you. The other part to it, which is part of, you know, the golden rule, is 
do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. To be able to show love and have compassion for your fellow man is something that is internally satisfying because not only looking out for yourself, but you're looking out for the people around you and you're caring, right? They say one of the biggest investments in the future are kids. So focus on love. Focus on success. Success isn't about the end game. Success is about the journey to get to the end game. So whatever, however you define your success, because my definition of success is way different than Jerome's definition of success, which is way different than yours. But however you define your success, it's about the journey of getting there and doing it the right way. There are no easy or there are no shortcuts to being successful. You have to put in the work. You have to put in the time. You have to do your due diligence in order to be successful, but enjoy the journey. And the last part of this is happiness. Happiness, having a peace of mind, and the fact that knowing that you're a good person, knowing that you are making decisions that are not deceiving or are not unethical or immoral, that you're doing things the right way. It's a lot of satisfaction in, in having a peace of mind and happiness. I know a lot of folks that do business and they do business the wrong way where they scheme and try to get over on people just because they want to make a sale, want to make that dollar, those businesses don't tend to last long. It's the businesses that you do things the right way, that take care of their customers, where they're now repeat customers, you're getting referrals, you're, you're building a brand, building a name for yourself or your business that will essentially sustain itself in the long run. That's kind of been my tidbits for my journey in figuring out this. Um, Jerome put me on this call this week because I just recently walked away from a six-figure job. Not everybody can do this. <laughs> he laughed at me and called me crazy. Um, well, not crazy. He called me wild. But it was one of those things where I understood what I want out of life. I understand what I want out of life. And I understand my purpose. And so being in a situation or a job where it's not fulfilling, I wanted to make the right moves so that I can do the things that I wanted to. Now, keep in mind, I'm not saying, you know, go out and go quit your job today if you're, if you're not happy there. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is if you're not happy, come up with a plan so that you can make changes to be happy. So for me, cannabis, I am working on a project right now where I put together a team and we are buying cannabis-related brands to be vertically integrated in the industry. So we provide everything that a person would need, an individual beginner or even an advanced commercial grower. We provide them with all the pots, tools, soils, nutrients, lighting systems uh, that they would need to grow and in all of the end products, so more so dealing with the CBD brands because, you know, now CBD, of course, is legal in, across the U.S. And all the research that is just now coming out about the holistic effect or healing effect and wellness of using CBD is much more significant than opioids. So I found something that I'm finally passionate about. I made a plan for what I wanted to do, made sure that I had enough reserve money set up so that I can go and execute this plan. I also made sure that I didn't burn bridges when I left that job, just in case I need to come back to it. But you only have one life to live. 
is essentially what I'm getting to. And this life is so precious. Why not go out and do the things that you love and be the best person you can be? Why not do that when so many other people take life for granted? Right? When so many people aren't afford the opportunity that you have to to breathe, to, to walk, to be able to create, to turn your dreams into reality, why not take a chance at being great? Take a chance on yourself. But of course do it in a very smart and systematic approach. So I will stop here and I would like to open the floor up for any questions, any comments, any feedback. Um, thank you guys for allowing me to talk and share my story about my two friends and about my life. And I, I really appreciate y'all, and I appreciate you, Jerome, and I hope I'll, I'll, I'll get to do this more often. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be sharing this story on stages around the world, and I'm so excited that we get to hear it here first. It makes me sad that this is the first time that I've heard this story, but I suspect it's the first time that you've told it, too. It is. The thing that I've found most people struggle with that weren't athletes is how to move on. If we dwell in a situation where things didn't go as we planned on the field, the next play's happening, and now two things went wrong. And that can continue. But in life, people tend to sit for days, weeks, sometimes months on something that they didn't like or something that went wrong or somebody didn't do what they said they were going to do. And I don't know how you cultivate that without sports because I don't know where else people get exposed to that. I think a lot of times they might check out and stop expecting or stop hoping, but the ability to take the five seconds, five minutes, five hours, and they feel the pain and then move on. I just don't find most people are doing, dealing with it. And maybe my time frame is just unrealistic, but I just feel like they're not dealing with it effectively. So have you seen or been exposed to things outside of what I've seen, which is just like Tony Robbins and the tribe that comes from his school of thought, people who've been able to deal with those triggers and effectively move through them and on to the next situation, whatever it may be? For me, and I, I'm, I'm very fortunate with this, my support group has, of course, been my friends and family. What you'll tend to find a, a lot of the times is people are dealing with things and they don't know what it is. They can't put a name to it. And so once they come across a message or once they come across a teaching or learning and you can put a name to it and you can define it, what it is, then essentially you can learn how to deal with it and get past it, right? So in my situation, for me, it was my classmates, my football team. So having a network of like-minded people like me who raised their hand to serve, who went through the same traumatic experience that I did, it's made all the difference in me being able to cope and deal with and move forward in life with dealing with all of the hurt and pain. So really just executing on the staff. So I guess you really laid it out. It's staying surrounded with positive people who can kind of help you move to the next place. I, I just 
it makes me sad when I see people just rolling around and whatever made them feel sad or hurt or mad. And I just want to help yeah. them move to the next place. And at times no, no, I feel like I frustrate them, right? Because they just want to be there. Yeah. And I look, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of seeking professional help because there are dedicated people out here that you have studied, learned, and researched how to deal with, you know, grief, with depression, with failure on all types of levels. So being able to seek professional help, and there's nothing wrong with it, right? And, and that, that's a big stigma that, you know, we, we kind of got to get away from. It's okay to talk and to seek professional help because you don't know what you don't know. And if you're battling and dealing with things alone, it's not going to do nothing but fester on the inside and get worse. So to, to be able to get that help and then to have and surround yourself with positive people and then to redefine yourself and your focus in life, once you get yourself time to mourn and get over, you know, the trauma that, that you went through, it's an enlightening experience. The human body is not made to deal with, uh, with trauma, with hurt like this. If we were, then it wouldn't be so bad, right? But what I've known and what I've learned, because I, I've unfortunately had your classmates and friends that committed suicide, suicide is not the answer, right? Uh, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't solve the problem. It's like a disease. It just spreads on to the next i.e. whether it was your kids or, you know, your loved ones, now it's them having to deal with you being gone, deal with, you know, now your depression and anxiety. You're doing nothing but pass that on. So you got to take a full head-on approach and say, all right, this is, this is what I'm dealing with. It hurts like hell. It does. And you have to give yourself that time to, to go through all those emotions. Get up with a vengeance and a passion and a fire. I'm listening. I heard someone on the line. Yes, it's Ray. How are you? Hi, Ray. I want to thank you for telling the story because I've been coming to know you for a little bit over two years, and that's the longest uh, I've ever heard you speak nonstop. <laughs> so I, I now see that you're ready to tell the story, and I was glad that you finally said her name. And I can, I can still hear the pain of you walking through the story. I just kind of wanted to step in a, a couple points from a clinical standpoint, describing the grief, classic grief has about five stages, denial and isolation, anger, bargaining, if I had done this or if this would have happened, depression and acceptance. Not everyone reaches the acceptance level, and those stages can come in any particular order. What happens is when you find people who are stuck, they don't progress through the stages. They get stuck in one stage, and, and they don't get to the point where they're able to let the situation go. Over a period of time, as you guys referenced earlier, some of those motivational speakers like Tony Robbins always talked about, uh, you know, how you train your brain. Um, Well, you can train your brain, of course, to do bad things too. So over a period of time, if you get stuck in a stage and you don't move to the next stage, it starts to change the way you think, right? It, It changes the way you receive information and it changes the way you behave towards that information. A quick example of this could be you're stuck in a bad relationship too long, and, you know, you pick up a, a guy or a girl, and they feel like, you know, everybody laughs to them or everybody cheats on them. Even though you might just get that person, you don't have anything to do with whatever happened to them before. 
you're the person who ends up with the baggage because that's become their reality because of the conversations they've had with themselves, the chemical emotions and the release that go on in the brain once they've experienced that level of trauma over and over again. It just reroutes how they think about things. And grief is the same way. So it starts to reroute how you think about things, and you kind of get stuck in whatever stage you may be in, and, again, never getting to the the part of acceptance, Um, not understanding that, you know, maybe that person wasn't supposed to be with you for a lifetime. Maybe the purpose that they were to serve, they were able to do it in a smaller amount of time than we hoped, and then figuring out, okay, so what do I do with the part of me that's left for them that cares like how do I preserve the care when we had a conversation I don't know that did I tell you about my cousin Chris yep you did okay so for those of you who are on the call say that again I said but share I'm going to give the quick version Um, Chris was a career military guy he started in the Marines went to the Army stayed in for his 20 plus years Um, he was on special forces up in mountains in Afghanistan doing these three four man attacks gets out of the military, comes home. He and I were very close. He was like my brother. He actually moved beside me so that we could be close to each other. Time fast forward, I ended up moving to another part of the city about five minutes away. We had a falling out and didn't talk for probably over a year. He used to call me when he was on the side of the mountain, having just done some whatever thing he had to do. Wouldn't talk about it, but just needed, to, I mean, I'd get calls in the middle of the night. He just needed to hear a voice, somebody that cared about him, loved him. He didn't, his mom never actually even knew what he did. Came home, he didn't know how to deal with civilian life anymore because he had been in the military so long that that's all he knew how to do. He was depressed. We didn't see that it was as bad as it was. His last mission, I guess, was on himself. He... He committed suicide. He laid out his all his paperwork, his obituary, his everything. Actually, this year makes year number four, April 7th, the day of his daughter's birthday, actually, would make four years ago that he did this. He would already planned his funeral, where it was going to be. He wrote his eulogy, put his obituary together, put out the clothes that he wanted to wear. He just couldn't deal with life outside of the military anymore. He couldn't deal in civilian life. And that level of grief and pain, I learned, it was hidden for us. We knew that he was, there was something, but no one knew to the degree that the something was. And Chris and I were not speaking when he died. I still, I just, I was stubborn and I didn't respond to a message he sent to me that I have to this day. So the the pain there is more real and in the military, it just pains me that it's so many cases of it and, and that I don't feel like there's any serious thought to how to address it or any serious care. So I applaud you like a billion times over for even opening up to share this story because I just see instances of people just not sharing and allowing things to eat at them to the point where, you know, they just feel overwhelmed with the situation. I think it's important that you continue to tell the story. I, like Jerome, hope to see you tell it on a big stage, maybe tell it on a book, tell it on a podcast or video show, because I think what you're offering is an opportunity for them to live the life after death concept. Yeah, that was one of uh, the things that I did recently learn. It was a saying 
if you let the memory of someone die, then essentially they die twice. And so, uh, you know, I, I just I just had to share. It, it's like a, a desire for me to do that. So I appreciate you. All right. Well, Jerome, I'm going to put it back in your hands. So my story with suicide goes back to eighth grade. We were a classmate of mine from probably first grade on, ended up dying. And to this day, I still blame myself. And no, I wasn't there. No, I didn't pull the trigger. No, but I didn't call. I told him I was going to call him. We were going to go to a football game, and I didn't call. And it's given me this need for accountability and to be impeccable with my word because I don't want anybody else to end up in a place like that because I failed to do what I promised I would do. I hope that that trauma for me is being utilized in a positive way, one that makes me a better person, but it still hurts and it's old. I don't want people to know how old I am, but it's years and years and years old. I don't I don't know how you move past that. I know Ray has a hard time with not responding to that message. That's why she still has it. I know Emily and Scotty are people that you still think about every day. And my one hope for anybody that we come in contact with is that we live our lives in a way that if we disappear tomorrow, that people will want to continue to tell our story. Whatever that story is, whatever gift people are given the world, you should touch somebody in a way that they want to continue whatever you start. It scared me to death when I found out you were going to Afghanistan and when you were going to Iraq. And I know my dad was disappointed when I didn't follow you to West Point. And it's just like, I'm scared. <laughs> I don't want to go somewhere else and get shot at. I, I'm not that hero. That's, I, I'm not, I'm not getting, jumping out of a helicopter. I'm not throwing grenades. Like, that's, that's not my game. But we walk with heroes, and I, I know heroes. And, and, Greg, I thank you for your service. Like, there is nothing in me that would have or could have done the things that you've done or the things that Chris did or so many other people who have either lost their lives in service or lost their lives after service because of the trauma that comes with service. I'm glad that you walked out last week because it was a defining moment for you. I'm glad that you called me and told me what happened and said, now what? And let me ask you questions and try to offer resources to you. I would have been extremely disappointed if I wasn't in that first few calls that you made. I, I love you, bro. And I don't know what I would do. I appreciate you giving us the exclusive on what's going to be a blockbuster. And I just want to ask one last question. And what is the one takeaway? If this past hour just got erased and we just had 10 to 20 seconds, what would you want somebody to know? Don't give up on yourself. That that will probably be it. The first thing that comes to mind. You may go through hell in a handbasket, but never give up on yourself. And always be willing to to 
reinvent the wheel if need be. However many times it takes for you to get up and to get back on your feet and to keep going, get up. Let that little voice in your head ring out, go. Get up. Move. And don't make yourself numb is the other part. It's okay to feel. So those, that, that would be it. Thank you. Ray, can you close the call out, please? Yes. Um, thank you for everyone who participated on the call this evening. If you can think of someone who would benefit from these types of services and you would like to let them know about the calls, please do so. If you like what you heard tonight, please share what we're doing on the calls with your friends. This was a very important call, and I'd like to thank our guests um, this evening. Greg, thank you again for opening up and sharing your story. I think this was an ultra-important step for those members that are on as well as yourself. So thank you for what you brought to us this evening. Have a great week. Get it how you live, and that's just what I did. You know I hustle all day and all night, boy. You know I hustle all day and all night, boy.